0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fano Friendly. I'm your host, Danny, and today we welcome Dom Lau, a principal at Ripple Ventures, an early-stage venture fund focused on enterprise, creator, and developer tools across North America, and the founder and program lead of the Ripple X Fellowship Program, a 12-week extracurricular program where students are coached and taught the intricacies of startups, operations, and venture capital. Additionally, Dom recently conducted a startup benchmark report to gauge the sentiment among VCs and founders regarding the current state of the ecosystem.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Danny.
0: Yeah, no problem. So today's episode will be dedicated to discussing the future of venture capital in 2022 and beyond. And I think first we should get started with uh, you explaining a little bit about your journey into VC and your work at Ripple Ventures. Awesome.
1: Yeah, sounds good. So uh, in terms of my background, I started off my career in traditional accounting and finance. I was working in the public accounting field, funny enough, where I was working with hedge funds, real estate investment trusts, and then I ended up having a a client in the startup ecosystem fell in love with the culture and types of technology that they're building. And I went on to explore that type of interest uh, through freelancing, consulting work with emerging managers as well as startups in in our ecosystem. I also partnered with a few of the local incubators and accelerator programs locally, where I helped companies out with anything from pitch decks to financial modeling to media mix uh, uh, modeling too. I met Matt in early 2018 as he was just starting up the fund at at Ripple Ventures and we've been building it uh, together over the past uh, three, four years, which has been really exciting. So um, we've launched our first fund in 2018, second fund in 2020, and we're soon launching our third fund by this year. A lot of great stuff coming down the pipe for us.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely growing at a, a really quick pace and i have love to track your progress. I was part of the fellowship as well. So it's been great sort of being a part of the, the Ripple ecosystem. I think to start off about maybe the future, a lot's been written recently about the changing nature of the middle section of VC and late stage venture with lots of crossover funds that operate both public and private markets entering in an influx of capital in general and just being pretty cheap. How do you see early stage being changed in recent years or how do you think it will change in the future? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, recently in the past, like one and a half, two years, it's been one of the craziest markets that anyone has ever seen in, in the ecosystem. You've had a combination of things like extremely high valuations where people are paying hundreds of times multiples on revenue or even no revenue on companies, the speed of deals that are happening. So I remember when we first started out, funds would have anywhere between a month or two, sometimes three months to go through diligence. Cover all your bases. But now you've had to compress all of that work into a matter of like days and weeks sometimes, especially with very competitive deals, depending on when you enter into conversations with them. And as you mentioned, the types of investors have also evolved over time. So you've seen these like later stage crossover funds. You've seen uh, funds go anywhere between like seed all the way up to like series D. Um, so mm. the, the range and um, breadth of how they invest has also changed a lot. And the value add for those types of funds is that they're able to follow into these companies um, yeah. along the journey of their life cycle as a business. So being able to maintain, grow ownership over time and have the um, unique data and relationship uh, with those companies is very much. Some results from this, companies have obviously overraised capital because fund sizes are dictating check sizes. So larger yeah. funds means they have to deploy more capital. So. There are only a finite amount of companies out there uh, that fit within a funds thesis, which means that they have to deploy more capital per company. And this creates valuations that a lot of companies can't fill. So if you're a pre-seed company raising at a 50 or hundred million dollar valuation happens today, Mm. those are big valuation shoes that the company might not be able to fill down the road if they're unable to find some sort of sustainable business model, go-to market strategy and so forth. So, um, Mm. It's important to note also what's happening in the market today where the public markets have been dipping. We've seen some early Mm. reactions in the private markets as well in terms of uh, valuation, pace changes. The valuations probably won't be sustained uh, in the near term, Mm. uh, given how the public markets are performing there. Mm. And some companies might have to actually raise down rounds, but Mm. it depends on whether or not the earlier funds that back those businesses are willing to support them at the same valuations or if they're going to mark down the companies, which would not look that great uh, on a returns perspective. So we've been very diligent in investing in good companies over the past uh, couple of years and the entire kind of life cycle uh, of our uh, two funds. We've been very focused on investing in companies with good absolute and relative valuations, sticking Mm. within our lanes, focusing on ownership, building ownership in first checks and making sure we're um, investing in good, sustainable businesses. That's how we've mitigated a lot of the risk associated with volatility
0: in the market. Mm. Yeah, I think so. So we've been talking more about the the venture fund impact on on the ecosystem, but I think as well, it's good to mention perhaps the, the more entrepreneurial side. I think entrepreneurs these days have a lot more resources available to them and democratized and that eliminates a lot of those early challenges. You know, Today, people have AWS, they have growth manuals, they have the app store, they have distribution strategies, and contact details. How has that impacted your sourcing and your diligence process? Is it easier to spot a winner now? What do you look for now in a startup, and has it changed a bit now that there's a bit more information out there?
1: Yeah, for sure. Companies have been a lot more sophisticated now than they were like three to five years ago. There's a lot mm-hmm. of Playbooks, um, a lot of blog posts, sharing learnings. People are progressing in different stages of their careers where they're providing mentorship and investment to earlier stage founders. The ecosystems across different cities have also been built out a lot more strong too. And I I would say it's not easier to winners in in this market. It's more of a different challenge. The core is still the same from an investment standpoint. We want to back amazing teams building great products in very large markets and given there's more companies nowadays, we have to figure out how to ignore the noise. So how to separate companies from each other, be very tight in how we're thinking about different frameworks on investment and, and navigating um, that in a much more high pace environment. What we do is we still focus a lot around customers and feedback as founders should. So we talk with a lot of existing and potential customers uh, who go in all of the discussion threads on Reddit, Twitter, um, Stack Overflow, yeah. <laughs> Hacker News, wherever you want to see the end user bases where they're looking at it. So that as a result, we're leaning towards community focused products, companies that are building up this bottoms up motion, because it's very easy to spot companies that are doing very well, especially with that type of uh, go-to market, because it's, it's customer and user driven. It's, it's not so much fairy dust in, in the air and aspirations. Yeah. You, you have something tangible to go off of. And that's what we
0: focus on. Definitely. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier about how high startup valuations are now. And that with the state of the public markets, this might be a cause uh, for concern and you know, increasing the likelihood of interest rate rises and just the, the venture ecosystem changing in, in general. Do you think we're in a bubble market or do you think we've just started pricing startups more efficiently or there's just increased competition for funding? What do you think is driving these higher valuations? Do you think it will keep going and what do you think will stop it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. In terms of what's driving the higher valuations, it's really competition and abundance of capital. If you look at the funds that are being raised in the past year and a half, two years, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars uh, being raised on a per fund basis. That creates a higher competition among firms to compete for deals because then you can raise the post-money valuation by just writing a larger check size to get the same amount of dilution or the same amount of ownership target for funds. So there's definitely some market risk around uh, interest rates and inflation, as you mentioned, and the historical, as in the the past one and a half, two years, where the funds were paying extremely high multiples on, on these types of companies. But at, at the end of the day, like markets are driven by supply and demand. There's still a lot of capital and dry powder in the industry. There's a lot of companies still building and creating alpha for investors. So it's very hard to tell whether or not uh, we're in uh, bubble territory or not. We're long-term investors looking on a 7 10 15-year type of horizon across different funds. We're still very bullish on, on the ecosystem. We're still investing. There's some correction happening now in the public markets, which uh, is starting to slightly trickle down into private markets. But either way, like the, the industry is going to be here to stay. And we're, we've we built our fund to withstand any of these kind of mm-hmm. short-term market blips because we, we built it for a decade to, mm-hmm. be, to, to, to operate in.
0: Definitely. Okay, so you mentioned about how there's still a lot of room to grow in some markets you know there are some verticals within venture that you're still very bullish on. I know you write a lot about web two and web three and how do you see that space developing in the next few years and any other sort of spaces you're quite optimistic on in, in growing in the sort of in the future?
1: For sure. So we do spend most of our time around three categories. It's enterprise, uh, creator tools, developer tools, and we look for companies across web two and web three. So the, the bucket is you could say very large, but we are highly focused in the types of businesses within those buckets we we look for. The companies that we're getting excited about are the ones where they call it like the Web3 mullet where you have a Web2 front-end or customer experience but it's powered by a Web3, backend, let it be in DeFi protocols, helping Web2 consumers onboard and on-ramp into the ecosystem without maybe even knowing it or having an mm-hmm. extremely seamless or low friction experience for them to do. Yeah. And we're thinking about this, especially in uh, Web3 gaming, where mm-hmm. maybe it's a Web2 game with a large community, and existing game that is performing very well and adding Web3 mm. elements on top of that in either like a white label, OpenSea fashion where they're mm. able to tease in that space or helping creators with existing uh, songs in Web2 across Spotify, helping them monetize or tokenize some of those assets. We're thinking about these different strategies, bridging the worlds of Web2 and Web3, which um, I think is going to be very uh, powerful in order to get mm. to scale with a lot of these uh, protocol solutions and, and applications. Also given I've launched the online course for the fellowship, I've been meeting with a lot of uh, different creator tool companies actually uh, around monetization, (laughs) analytics, community management, because I'm an end user and I know the tool stack being used for a marketing, a creation, distribution channel. It's given me a lot of different thesis ideas for companies that um, I would want to invest in or just look at as a end consumer and customer of that product.
0: Okay, definitely. Yeah, no, I think those those are two really interesting spaces. Yeah, it's interesting to hear about your experience with the fellowship and how that's impacting the way you look at startups now. I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier that there's so much capital out there and there are so many funds. There's this increasing competition to to get on a startups' cap table, especially as well when you have something like crowdfunding now or revenue-based the growth models or investing. So, and as well, you have you have micro VCs and angels. And how do you think the the Ripple sets themselves apart from this, like the traditional funds and this new competition and what do you think funds do have to do in general going forward to, to set themselves apart in the fundraising process?
1: Yeah, for sure. We we differentiate ourselves in the ecosystem through truly like deep portfolio support. We have a very strong platform of operators, advisors, industry experts that we pull from. And a lot of the work that we do with portfolio companies is around things like go to market. Um, pricing, higher fundraising, helping them actually build like their deck and data room for the next raise and helping them make the introductions to those investors, building the story, building the strategy around that. So, if you think about us as um, not just a venture fund as a capital provider, but also an extension of your management team, that's been mm-hmm. a, a huge value add to founders as they assess us as potential partners for their business because. The, the market as you mentioned is extremely competitive capital is very easy to access today if you have a decently good business so for us we have to work very hard for our founders to make sure that we're actually providing tangible value to them in those operational categories we use a, a lot of our founders as references as well so part of our process we encourage the ceos that we're speaking with as prospective investments to talk with our existing investors and, and our portfolio companies mm-hmm. just to learn about how we're actually working with them and adding value to them. So they go a okay. long way for us uh, to help solve problems for that. We have a large platform as well where, where I run our uh, student fellowship program, which is a great source of network as well as talent uh, like yourself. And we mm-hmm. have a great amount of like partnerships that come from these companies that are building either complementary services or software uh, solutions. And that gives us a great insight and pulse on the market and an unfair advantage in terms of information on what's happening at the earliest stages of company. And from a network perspective, we're providing a lot of great relationships for our founders working with top tier funds who they want to lead their rounds later on at the series A, series B, series C stages. And we have industry experts that we work with across several domains to add as advisors or potential hires for our companies too. So it's a lot of different ways where we're trying to differentiate ourselves as a fund. And it's a lot of uh, work and, and effort to actually maintain this, but it pays off because it's helped us win a majority of our deals actually having that platform, uh, support, referenceability, and just building trust with the founders and entrepreneurs. Like that's, that's, that's the way you win deals and it just doesn't come overnight. Um, you, you have to build that over time.
0: Definitely, yeah. You, uh, you mentioned that the RippleX Fellowship. I know you recently launched uh, an online version of the course available to, to the public. And can you maybe talk a little bit more about the course, what it entails, what, why you wanted to start it in the first place, and what have you learned from from running this fellowship? Yeah, for sure.
1: I started the program because I was looking back on my experience trying to break into venture, as well as seeing a lot of the early stage student founders around me while I was at school, and the resources and the uh, access to the network is really tough to get as a student and even harder if you don't go to a top tier target school or an Ivy League school it's really tough to to do looking back on that experience myself um, going through tons of different youtube videos blog posts it was very hard to piece together information and experience to to, to get into the industry so what i wanted to do was create a program that was focused on the education and uh, knowledge and and network sharing to students, uh, especially from underrepresented backgrounds, to be able to access this type of resource and and, and network to kickstart their careers as potential VCs, as well as uh, venture-backable company founders. So that's the genesis of why I started it. It's truly a -a one-of-a-kind program where majority of the fellowships ran by funds out there are using students as deal sourcing analysts and Mm. Not so much focusing on the education and kind of yeah, nurturing definitely. and mentorship piece. Um, so we truly pride ourselves in, in that type of approach because it's yielded a lot of great kind of results for students. And not so, like uh, my core KPI internally is making sure that. Everyone is able to achieve their goals as either a founder going out to raise capital or helping someone get into VC in a full-time role after school. I just want to see the students grow. It's not like I want students to find me like five <laughs> investments every semester. That's not my KPI. Ask any of my students. That's not my KPI. Yeah. Uh, my my focus is teaching students, giving them the resource network and frameworks to be successful in whatever they do. It doesn't matter. So that's like why I started and what my goals are with the program. I'm talking about the course now. I was looking back at the thousands of students that apply to our program and I only take 20, 25 students every semester. And that's like a very narrow acceptance rate. So what what happens to the 80, 90, 95% of students that don't get in? The alternative truly is nothing. Um, There's nothing out there that gives Mm. you such a guided learning experience into uh, venture and startup building. So what I wanted to do was Figure out a way to democratize it to the rest of the students who don't get into the program. So what I did was I took all the resource uh, content, all the PDFs, and I spent the time over the holidays to record hours of videos walking through each of those pieces of content, structuring some uh, quizzes and assignments around that to make sure that people are able to apply some of the learning and put mm-hmm. it into an online course platform that was completely free, totally accessible mm-hmm. to anyone who wants to learn about the ecosystem. So it's carrying out the vision that I had on making it accessible and uh, reachable for any student who wants to access this. What we're hoping to get out of it, like we're hoping to build awareness about our program, build awareness about our fund so that any student can uh, come to us for guidance and potentially capital for their business going down the road. We want to help create one of the biggest communities of amazing builders and funders in in the ecosystem. And it's an interesting um, program that we have where we merge the two ecosystems too. Because usually you either have folks that are um, only founder-focused programs, only VC-focused programs. But what's unique about ours is we're creating a homogenous ecosystem where we bring both to the table. Because it's not learning about VC from one end. like You have to have founder empathy, too, to be a great investor. It's not just being a founder going out to raise capital. You need to understand how VCs think, too. So I think that's been one uh, really cool thing about our program, helping bridge those two worlds together. And we're partnering with a lot of different companies, service providers, banks, tools to help our students and share like a, a resource bank and stack for them to basically, hey, like these are the mm. 5, 10, 15 things that you need to actually start your business and go through incorporation, set up bank accounts, uh, credit cards, all that kind of stuff. So that's mm. some things that we're building out from that perspective. And mm. to answer your last question around learnings, the, the, the main piece of feedback that we've received from students is that They really appreciate how structured and guided our content is. There's a lot of siloed content out there where they might be covering one topic, but you need to do a bunch of Googling and, and, and research to figure out other topics. So we've gotten a lot of love from students around the lack of existing resources out, out there and, and what we've been able to provide students. Managing community is very hard. At scale is even harder. It's really rewarding at the same time, but the effort and time needed to actually curate a highly engaged and tight-knit ecosystem. It's taken us years to get to some sort of degree of success and we're looking to scale that going forward. But yeah, those are some quick points on the fellowship as well as uh, the online course and where we're taking that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a -a one-of-a-kind fellowship. I think it was instrumental in developing, as you said, that knowledge of being both a a VC and a founder as well. I think blending those two groups together in one is really interesting, and I, I couldn't recommend it enough. I think Yeah, it was super, super well structured. I think as well, it'd be quite interesting, maybe about the future of the fellowship. You have the online course, where do you want to bring this in the future? You said you only have 20 people right now in each cohort. What do you want to do down the line with the fellowship and where do you want to take it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. What we're looking to do now is partnering with a lot of the university campuses to try to add the fellowship course as a part of the resource bank that they offer their entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. It's our only way of uh, maximizing distribution because I believe in what we've pushed out. I, I put my time and effort into it, and I, I think it's I think it's really good based off of what we heard from students to validate that too. My main challenge and my main goal now is to figure out ways to scale distribution, and what that means is putting in putting the resource into the hands of entrepreneurship program managers, founder managers at these campuses where they have access to tens and hundreds of students asking them for help and guidance and resources and figuring out a way for us to get that in the hands of them and be able to market it properly. That's one of our kind of big visions to make sure that we can get this across the entire North American ecosystem. We've even gotten some folks sign up from Europe, Asia. um, So Mm. a lot of different demographics and geographies that are starting to access our, our content just through seeing it on LinkedIn. And the big vision is that we are able to help kickstart the journeys of founders and VCs all across the world, no matter where they're from, what background, what idea they're working on, just giving them the resources to do what they want to successfully. And that's a long-term mm-hmm. vision.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think as we, as we come to the end of the episode, I always like to give VCs a chance to, first of all, shout out some of the, the recent investments, shout out some of the, the portfolio companies. I know one of my favorites of Ripples is Marpipe and I'm a big fan of VoiceFlow as well. Sort of what do awesome. you? What have you invested in recently? What are you excited about? What do you think is is going to take off?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll just talk about uh, two recent investments. So obviously, I love all of our portfolio companies and and love working mm-hmm. with all of them. Definitely not no favorites, but I'll talk about uh, two recent ones. One of them was actually a founded by a. Ripple X Fellowship alumni audit. Um, So we Mm invest in a company called Lula, which is led by Audit and Tom there. So Mm -hmm. uh, what they're doing is they're building the integration layer for convenience stores as well as delivery platforms to help uh, them bring their goods online. I'm working with a ton Mm -hmm. of great distributors as well as other partners in their ecosystem to be able to, uh, bridge the gap for this antiquated industry. A uh, quick story around that, we met Audit in one of the earlier middle cohorts of like cohort four, cohort five. He's working on a different mm-hmm. company. We were working together and brainstorming how he could test out an MVP for what is LULA today. So he basically built an Instagram uh, account and and fulfilled orders mm-hmm. with wow. Tom really himself <laughs> using the uh, mm-hmm. convenience store goods that they had. on it. An amazing story on how we were able to meet Audit through the program, who was actually referred in by Lynn, one of the fellow, fellows before Audit joined and be able to back one of our alumni uh, fellows in the program. So fantastic uh, story, and and we're really excited about what they're doing. And uh, we recently closed an investment in a company called Onboard, which is a customer success platform helping uh, companies onboard their customers. And um, they recently uh, got into YC, and we're excited to partner with them as they go into their, their next stages of the journey.
0: Yeah, those, those sound like some super interesting companies. Definitely some to follow. We normally end with one thing that concerns you or with VCs, one thing that concerns you about the ecosystem and one thing that excites you. So what are those for you?
1: Yeah, so in terms of concerns, recently I've seen a lot of companies try to pivot from Web 2 into Web 3 to mm. um, maybe try to save the company and then try to raise a ton of money at very high valuations because of what investors might be looking for in market trends. It's not that great because you're building a product to shift into an industry not because it's might be the right technology or maybe the right market but because it's where investors are putting dollars in so it's probably not that great for founders or investors to uh, be able to partner together on these types of companies because there's a lot of risk in pivoting in in this fashion and raising capital for this specific reason of being involved in the Web3 ecosystem versus having a very good product, good community, good user base using it. And that that concerns me a little bit, seeing that in the market very frequently. Something exciting that I've seen in the ecosystem is that with any market turbulence that we're seeing, especially in the small blip that we see in the public markets today, it becomes a great, exciting opportunity for investment. The best companies Mm. will survive, the ones with great business models the ones that have products that actually provide value to customers that give ROI and the bad companies will die off as they should. Uh, we've seen this in the last downturn, like the the corrections in the market keep the market sane. <laughs> Otherwise, we would just be always up and to the right and the music would never stop. It's great to have these types of corrections in the market because it gives disciplined investors like us great opportunities to invest in and hopefully continue what we're doing. So. It's really exciting to me, even though, obviously, there's a downturn in, in public markets, but it, it presents a great opportunity for disciplined investors like us to continue making investments in within the realm that we're focused on.
0: Yeah, I think that's just about time. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. I think you raised some super interesting points as well. It sounds like the work you're doing at Ripple is, is very exciting. And again, I, I would urge anyone to apply to the fellowship or to take the online course. It was super valuable. So. Yeah, thank you very much for your time, and also thank you very much for what you're doing for for the community uh, of us. We're trying to break into VCs. Very admirable. So thank you so much.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Danny. Appreciate it.